The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. I love how in the Word of God there are things that are just very understated, things that are glaringly obvious, but the Word of God says them in such a subtle way. At the end of Acts chapter 10, after this great encounter with the Apostle Peter and Cornelius and a lot of his associates and family, uh, Peter says, uh, what God has made clean, we don't say is unclean, people or foods. And anyway, Peter preaches the gospel in Cornelius's house. And at uh, verse 48, at the end of Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, well, Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they, Cornelius and his people, asked Peter to stay for a few days. I would too. Well, we welcome you to Exploring the Word. And Bert, you know, when you're in the presence of some great spiritual leader, I know when I had the privilege years ago of meeting Adrian Rogers and a different one meeting Dr. David Jeremiah, meeting Charles Stanley when all of us were at NRB. You just want to be there in their presence for a while. And I can only imagine being in the presence of the Apostle Peter. That must have been magnified a hundred times. I believe I ought to ask him the same thing. Can you stay with us a little while, you know? And uh, <laughs> yeah. so, and, and he does. He, he grants that request. But meantime, guess what happens? While is there, word gets back to Jerusalem that something has happened among the Gentiles, and uh, they want a little bit of explanation. And yeah. this time it ends up good. Just let me foreshadow there a little bit. You know, when the Pharisees heard that certain things happened, there was no way they could be satisfied. But this group, they're wondering. They, they've overcome the issue of Samaritans, and now they've got to overcome the issue of Gentiles becoming followers of Christ without becoming Jews first. And so they're, they're in, Alex, let me just say this. They're growing in the grace of God, aren't they? I mean, that's basically what they're doing. They're learning that God is no respecter of persons, just like Peter had already learned that. Well, it's the circumcision party. If we read in Acts 11.1, they were criticizing that, you know, they're saying that the Gentiles are uh, receiving the Word of God. Now, it always kind of made me sad in Acts 11 when the apostles and brothers and sisters throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Peter goes to Jerusalem. The circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Well, it is the uncircumcised of heart that need the new birth, the gospel. And, you know, uh, not to get us off on another subject, but Bert, have you ever noticed how you, you can never please a legalist? <laughs> You're never going to get good enough, are you? Uh, yeah. Alex, let me do this, and I'll throw it back to you. Let me read that comment. You went into how I think they said it. You went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them? I, I, I can just hear them saying they didn't say it calmly. They, you did this? What are you meaning? And uh, yes, you'll never satisfy them uh, totally. But these people, again, I understand, but finally they do come around uh, when they heard these things. I'm telling you, I'm reading ahead here, but in verse 18, when they heard these things, they became silent 
and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. Now, let Amen. me say this, and we'll study each detail later if we need to, but Peter didn't argue with them. He just told them the story about what God had done. I, isn't that something? Th- isn't that probably better than trying to debate? Just look exactly. what God has done. Well, you know, um, uh, J. Vernon McGee, the Bible teacher, he's been passed away 30 years plus, I suppose, but J. Vernon McGee said the best way you defend a, a lion is just let it out of the cage, <laughs> and the best way you defend the Word of God is just proclaim it, because it's very—I love the word he used. McGee would say that the Word of God is very self-authenticating. Now, I believe in apologetics and defending the faith. You know, First Peter 3.15 says do that. But you're right, Peter began to explain step by step. I was in Joppa praying, and basically Peter recounts what the Lord did in Acts chapter 10, you know. And this is very powerful because this lesson about the the birds and the animals and the clean things that were on the picnic blanket, you might say, Mm -hmm. the scroll that came down out of heaven, and it happened three times, God was having to show them, and and I want to say something here in a minute, uh, but God was having to show them that the gospel of grace was not about works, but about the work that Jesus did on the cross. And no longer were they under the laws and the rituals. They were all fulfilled in Jesus. And friend, this is good news for you and for me. When you put your faith in Jesus, all of the requirements of the law, the dictates of the law, that not only could we never fulfill. In fact, we've all broken at multiple points. Jesus fulfilled it all, paid it all. And if you will put your faith in Jesus, the fulfillment of the law is accredited to you. And and Bert, I, I sort of understand. I know we can be critical of the Judaizers and the circumcision and the legalists, but they they had been steeped in this for centuries. And I guess it did probably take several reiterations to help them grasp that salvation is of grace, not works. I I believe so, Alex. This has been ingrained in them, and and so here they are. But they hear the testimony of Peter, who had who had come. Th- he was not part of them, but they understood him. He is the Jewish culture. They knew he was a a Jew of the Jew. And uh, so here he says how many times the Spirit told him. The Holy Spirit came upon them as it did us. Uh, again, the ministry of God through Jesus Christ in his crucifixion and resurrection, the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming and empowering this group of people has changed the whole focus. It is now not just the Jewish community, but now it is... The, uttermost parts of the world, just like Acts 1.8 said, when the Spirit comes, you will be witnesses of me. Where? In Jerusalem? That's Jews. In Judea? That's Jews. Samaria? Now, we understand they're our cousins, but they're outcasts. But the uttermost parts of the world? Yes, that is what is happening here, and it's not through yet. Yes, God comes, and so they... They come, and it's not going to stop there. It's going to go up into a place that is another stepping stone. If you, I, I love geography, and you look at what happens in Jerusalem. 
But the next place, yes, you look Samaria, then you look at Joppa, yes. But the place we're waiting on is Antioch, Alex. You know, this is going to be a launching pad for the church, isn't it? Well, it really is. It really is. And, you know, if you want to get a summary of the book of Acts so far, you could read Peter's synopsis of all that God was doing in Acts chapter 11. And and we know, okay, the Word of God was given by the Holy Spirit, uh, and this book in particular was written by Luke the physician. Uh, and Luke is recording the words preached and shared by Peter, which ultimately every word in the Bible was chosen and ordained and presided over by the Holy Spirit. But the details and the specifics and the the very careful recounting of all that had been going on, um, it tells me that Luke was meticulous, Peter knew what he was talking about, but the Holy Spirit was preserving it all. Yeah, and and this is what the Holy Spirit does. He takes men and uses them. Now, that's that's awesome. Now, you remember in creation, all God had to do was speak. In the beginning, God, he said, let there be light. Guess what? There was light. Let the darkness be separated from the light. That happened. Let the dry land come up out of the water. That happened. God said all of that, and it happened. But for redemption, he not just spoke, he had to die. It wasn't enough for God to shout out from heaven to us, I love you, I care for you. No, he had to send his son. And now he involves those who receive the son in the greatest work in all the world, the work of redemption, of us proclaiming that. And we see Luke, as you said, Alex, detailing each thing, and the Holy Spirit uses him to do that. And I think verse 19 starts out and lets you know, again, it's geographical. Now listen, now those who were scattered after the persecution, need to know that the persecution came, that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word, to no one but the Jews only. Now, that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But aren't you glad that conjunction is there? But yes, some of yes. them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the word, the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. There it is. They come to Antioch, and they're going to spend a few days telling us about this great church in Antioch. Uh, I hear people say, well, I want to be like the New Testament church. And many times when they say that, I say, which one? Uh, you want to be like hmm. Corinth? You know? But <laughs> it, Not that one. No. But if they would say Antioch, I'd say, Lord, do it again. This is some church, Alex. And if you want to emulate a church, I think the church in Antioch might be the one you want to strive after. Well, yeah. And, uh, they, you know, well, and Berea also. Yeah, yeah. You, you There's some that? others, yeah. I would say that in the church at Philippi as well. Nobody, Paul said, communicated to me about the gospel like the church at Philippi. Those three churches, they stand out real high as as, as great. Thessalonica wasn't weak, but uh, right. Antioch, Berea, you know, and, and Philippi, I, I, I'd call them the top three. That's just my thoughts now. Well, verses 27 and through 30 at the end of this chapter show that the Holy Spirit was really working. It says, In those days some prophets came down 
uh, from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a famine. Now, it's interesting. We're going to read about Agabus again in Acts 21. He's mentioned here in Acts 11. In Luke 10, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out in pairs. And tradition says Agabus was among those 72 disciples sent out from Luke 10, although Luke 10 doesn't exactly specifically say, but he predicts a severe famine in the Roman world during the reign of uh, Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. Again, we're seeing the generous, charitable nature of the church, but this is not socialism, as some sometimes young people are taught or think. It's, it's all voluntary, and it's really compassion and generosity. And, you know, the church does that to this day. Bert, how often have you and I uh, been in church, and maybe after the preaching, the pastor says, you know, we've got a family that's in a hardship. Could we take a love offering? And, you know, the benevolent nature of God's people, it goes all the way back to the very beginning, doesn't it? It does. If you look at the history of America you will find the history of the church being so gracious. Those that would take care of orphans, those that would take care of those that were in horrible, horrible situation. Look at the education of these people. Look at the hospitals that were started. Uh, Alex, I would say, look at us. Now, what, is, what has the what has the communist and what has the atheist done? I, I wouldn't say that even compared. Hey, we're going to be back with more of Acts right after the break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for General Ronald Place, director of the Defense Health Agency. He leads the military health system, which provides medical training, readiness, and health services. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2 reminds us of God's blessings of good health. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Ronald Place as he leads the Defense Health Agency. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says when things go from bad to worse, your deliverance and destiny may be just around the corner. He has a story about that to share with us today as we spend two minutes with Tony. A bird one day was delaying and flying south. It should have flown south earlier, but it didn't. The cold weather came in unexpectedly. It was too cold for him to fly. It got so cold and he froze so bad, he fell off the tree into the pasture. And all he saw was death. Along came a cow. The cow came along and had to relieve itself. Manure fell on the frozen bird. The frozen bird said, oh no, not only am I freezing, but now I'm in a mess. But as he was there, he began to notice that the manure was warm. He wasn't in a mess, he was in a hot mess. 
and the hot mess began to water down the ice. The mess he was in began to melt him. He began to feel his wings begin to move. What I'm trying to tell you is if you're in a frozen state and can't move, and if you're in a messy situation, God is so great, he can turn your mess into a hot mess and he can make it melt your circumstances, turn you around and get your wings up and flapping again. Somebody here believes, Jeremiah 29, 11, I have a plan for you, saith the Lord, a plan for your well-being and not for your calamity, to give you a future and to give you a hope. I'm talking about a destiny, significance, meaning, purpose you are somebody tony has a 10 message series exploring the equipment we need to build a healthy spiritual life check out the spiritual toolkit when you visit tonyevans.org then join us next time for two minutes with tony welcome back to exploring the word on american family radio What a song to sing during the study of the book of Acts. God is mighty to save those Jews, those Samaritans, and now the Gentiles. We're in Acts chapter 11, and we had uh, Barnabas going to Antioch to check out this, sent from Jerusalem, and he goes up there, and I love what he said here in chapter 11, verse 23. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. Barnabas saw the grace of God. He saw those Gentiles that were saved. He heard about their lives being changed. And it says, and encourage them all that with this purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man. I love that about Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And great many were added to the Lord. When he come, he didn't throw water on the fire. He stoked the fire so the fire would get hotter. Alex, I remember going to some conferences or a convention or a meeting like Truth for a New Generation or something like that and come yeah. back on fire. And then you got what you call the water brigade. They're ready to throw water on anything. You better not bring that back. That'll get us off. Barnabas, <laughs> Barnabas didn't throw water. Man, he put fire on the fire. And notice what happened. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. To bring Saul. Saul. Now, this is three years later. He had been in Arabia, and he'd gone back to Tarsus now. That's in Acts one seventeen. You can find that. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Antioch. I love this passage of Scripture. It shows us Barnabas encouraging. We see him looking to see what he could do to help the church, and he remembers that man that he met in Jerusalem, and he said, I know where he is. I'm going to go get him and bring him back here. They need him, and he needs us. And I would say when they were joined together, Barnabas, who was in Jerusalem, Paul, who was in Tarsus, comes to Antioch. What a united front this is that this would change the world, Alex. Yeah, oh my goodness. If ever you would have wanted to be a part of a, a revival 
or something God was doing, uh, you would have wanted to be a part of this. And you remember how uh, the Apostle Paul, Saul, Paul was in Arabia. You know, he talks about this in Galatians 11, and now there's a year of ministry going on here in Antioch. You know, we often hear about uh, Saul's, you know, going to the Desert University uh, to prepare, but I've got to believe this year of ministry in and around Antioch was very formative in the work he would later do also. I believe he was formulating uh, strategy. God was letting him. He was observing. He was seeing. Barnabas is the leader at this time, and even when they leave Antioch, Barnabas is mentioned first, but when they come back, it's no longer Barnabas and Paul. It's Paul and Barnabas. But notice this, and I do want to catch this. The disciples were first called Christians, Antioch. Now, before this, they were called disciples. They were called followers. They were called brethren. They were called saints. They were called the way. Followers of the way. Yeah, but now they're called Christians, and most folks think it was probably derogatory to begin with, Mm -hmm. but it became a badge of honor. And we find out that, you know, Polycarp and Ignatius, they would— finally use those terms later on, next generation of followers of Christ, they would call themselves Christians with pride. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, and you know what? This is, I've always loved churches called Antioch Baptist Church or Antioch Methodist Church. There's a lot of churches called Antioch. And parenthetically, let me just say this. You know, I know you've seen probably Mount Hermon Church or or Bethlehem Church, or El Bethel, or Antioch, um, you ju- you don't see churches named biblical names. I mean, I know there are a lot of churches that they're called things like Ignite, or Hope, or Elevate, uh, words that imply motion and something positive, and, and I understand why they do that. But Bert, if ever you wanted to attach or, or brand your church, give your church a personality, you want it to be biblical, and the Christians zealously serving the Lord at Antioch and Berea, studying the Word to make sure these things are true, uh, these are attributes that, that not only do we not want to forget, we would do well to follow. You're right, Alex. And matter of fact, I, I've noticed this. If you tell me a church's name, not always, but certain names, I can probably tell you close to the decade that they were started. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like in the 1960s and early 70s, it was the location. In other words, North Poplar Church, uh, like the church I pastored here in Tupelo, West Jackson Street Baptist Church. They located out there in the 60s and still have that name. And then, but before that, you had the Calvaries and the Trinities, and they seem yeah. to start in the 40s and the 50s. Now, that's not a cut-and-dried method, but it is funny. And now, to de- for a while, it was the church at, like a certain place, the church at. But now it's those descriptive names, motion names, and they've come. And so it is, you know, a name is a name, but uh, regardless of your name, what you want to have is a biblical base and foundation. Not just yes. the foundation, but the actions and the rejoicing. Uh, make your church, let it be as biblical as much as possible. And uh, that that would be a goal regardless of the name. Every now and then I, I've seen churches around the country, and they would have a name like Christ the King, such and such church. 
that's a good name, isn't it? Yes, Amen. But um, so Saul is more and more getting involved, and we said earlier in the study that you know the first half of the book of Acts, a lot of the focus is on Peter. Throughout the second half, a lot of the focus is going to be on Paul. We talked about Agabus there, but in chapter twelve, it says King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. He executed James, John's brother, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, this is dark. This is, Verse 3 of chapter 12 is really dark. When Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, put him in prison, assigned four squads of soldiers to guard him. In other words, 16 soldiers to guard him and bring him out to the people after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Surely Peter heard about the fate of James being beheaded or executed with the sword. Um, wonder what Peter was thinking when he was in prison. He probably felt like his doom was, was yeah. nigh, didn't he? It did, but guess what? He may have remembered what had taken place in Acts chapter 5 where they were in prison and then they were released miraculously, you know? And so this is the second time for Peter uh, to be miraculously delivered from prison. Now, I think this one is more dramatic than the other. This is just beyond description that here he is. He's he's got his chains to his soldiers, one on one and one on the other. Soldiers at the post, at the at the uh, gate. Soldiers at the second and third gate. They've got to. He's got to get past seven or eight different soldiers in order to get released. Guess what, Alex? It happens. It, it happens. And I love the angel wakes him up and says, "Quick, get up!" And the chains fell off of his wrist. Get dressed. Now, if you look down there in verse eleven, when Peter came to himself. Um, you know, maybe he was groggy, sleepy. Maybe he just thought it was a dream or something. You know, we see those words, he came to himself. The prodigal son had to come to himself because he was in sin. Peter had to come to himself here because he was in the midst of a miracle. They get through the first, the second guards. They came to the iron gate that leads into the city, um, which opened to them by itself, verse 10. Let me tell you something. When the good Lord is on the move, locked gates swing open, don't they? They do, and closed doors didn't keep Jesus out when they were up in the upper room. Hey, look back, if you would, at verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison. Then, you know, we talked about these mighty conjunctions, now and, here's the but. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Amen. Amen. Listen, look at the army that was holding him, but it did not compare with the army who was praying on their knees. Yes, yes. But prayer was made. Uh, I I just, I hope everyone out there knows this. I I believe with all my heart, the most valuable people in a local church are the prayer warriors. And you don't have to have a degree from a seminary. You don't have to be singing solos. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You could be anyone in that church and be that prayer warrior. Lord, teach us to pray. You know, and and Alex, I, I believe that. I'll say that. It, 
The prayer warrior may be the pastor. The prayer warrior may be the minister of music. It could be anyone. It could be a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, but prayer warriors. But prayer was made. God responded. Do you remember the, the passage before this, Cornelius? He prayed, and God heard those prayers. Uh, prayer, Real prayers get the attention of our God. Exactly. And, you know, there's a story, and I've been trying to find out if it's actually true. I don't know. Uh, There's a grain of truth in it, at least. But supposedly back during the Depression, there was a drought, and a church was praying for rain, and then uh, it did rain, and everybody said, praise God. And then later on, supposedly lightning struck a bar and burned it to the ground, and the bar owner sued the church that had been praying for the bar to close, and the church denied all responsibility and wanted the case thrown out, saying that our prayers didn't have anything to do with that. (laughs) Now, my point being, I've always had a sweet uh, feeling in my heart for Rhoda. Um, The church is praying, Lord, save Peter. Oh, he's in jail. They're going to kill him. So Peter gets through the gate, gets out of jail, and the angel left him. Peter came to himself, and verse 11 says, I know for certain the Lord has sent his angel, rescued me from Herod's grasp. And he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. Many are there praying. I mean, this is in the wee hours of the morning. Bert, this is an all-night prayer meeting, isn't it? I'm telling you, amen, Alex, it is. And So he knocks on the door, and a servant girl named Rhoda comes to answer. She recognized Peter's voice because of her joy. She didn't open the door. She ran back and said to everybody, hey, listen, our prayers have been answered. Peter is at the door. And what do they say in (laughs) verse 15 to Rhoda? It must be his angel. In other words, you're you're a little silly, girl. Uh, And and Alex, when you see that and you know that, uh, she recognized his voice. They said to her, you're beside yourself, yet she kept insisting that it was so, and they said it's an angel. Now, that was bad, uh, I would call it Judaistic doctrine, that mm-hmm. that person had died and now they had become an angel, you know. And uh, so they had already thought, well, James is dead, now Peter's dead. Uh, that, and and they, they basically say, you're, you're out of your mind. So what but happens Peter- praying with faith, Alex? I thought... You know, God yeah. wouldn't answer these prayers unless it was faith. Didn't sound like they had much faith. <laughs> well, I know. And, you know, the, the interesting thing, they said, it is his angel. Now, speculation has been made about what this might have meant there in verse 15. Okay, they're assuming he's dead already. Right. Uh, is his soul able to go about and knock on the door? Or is his guardian angel maybe... His guardian angel has come to the prayer meeting to say, "Hey, everybody, you can go on home. He's dead." I mean, I don't. We can't know completely <laughs> can't what know. they were thinking. You're right. But at, at the very least, it's not great theology right. there. But Peter keeps knocking, and when they opened the door and they saw him, they were amazed, motioning to them with his hand to be silent. In other words, Peter says, "Shh, shh, shh be quiet, everybody. Listen." He tells them how the Lord brought him out of prison. Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said, and he left and went to another place. You know, he's apparently brave enough to go, you know, on foot, cross town, and go out where he needs to go. But the uh, next day at sunrise... In now, let guards, me say this, Alex. This James yes. is probably the 
the brother of Jesus, who is probably right. the pastor at Jerusalem, and caused the James apostle has died. So go ahead. Exactly. You know what? I'm glad you said that. I thought about that just as I as I read that. Peter goes on his way. Herod is livid with anger about the escaped prisoner. Has the guards ordered to be executed because Peter's gone? And you know, I can only think about those guards probably pleading for their life and. What if Herod had said to himself, you know, oh my goodness, Peter was miraculously delivered, but he doesn't. He's very angry, not only with the guards, but he's angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they come before him, and there's a a person named Blastus in charge of part of the king's palace, and they they ask for peace. Now, Herod is going to die here because... He's been on a tear against the church. He's just insane with anger and power, and he's not leading. Uh, He's just wildly abusing authority. And when the people say he's a God and not a man, he didn't deny it, and God struck him down. Quite different than when Peter, quite different than what Peter did when they wanted to make him God. He said, no way. But let's finish on that verse 24. Yeah, our 24 before we go out. Well, I've always thought this was a very um, (laughs) chilling part of Scripture. He was eaten by worms and died, but the Word of God flourished and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, remember Agabus predicted a famine, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John Mark. But here it is. The gospel's going forth. Yeah, it didn't matter. The Word of God grew, and here's the word, multiplied. Uh, They couldn't kill it. They weren't fearful. They kept on sharing. Hey, that number is 888-589-8840. Give us a call. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. Here's Pastor Jeff Shree with From His Heart Ministries. How many people come to church and they're chained to a bitter spirit and all sorts of problems chained to greed and selfishness? Even when they want to break free, they can't seem to break free. Worship Him and praise Him and let Him remove the chains. Learn to break the chains forever through Christ. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart, weeknights at 6 Central, here on American Family Radio. When the wicked rule, the people groan. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Only 120-some-odd days into the Mr. J. Robinette Biden administration, and it's looking like the return of the Jimmy Carter days, as the world is on fire, almost overnight. Filling stations with no gas up and down the East Coast. 178,622 illegal aliens tried to cross our southern border in April, a two-decade high. In Israel, Arab terrorists are on the verge of full-scale war. Prices are skyrocketing. Inflation is shooting fear through the market. And where is Mr. Biden? From basement campaigning to the basement president? 
there's a new condition percolating through America. It's called Biden regret. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Colossians 1 verse 11 says this about followers of Christ. We are strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. In a royal Persian palace, original plans called for large mirrors from France to be placed in the entranceway. But those mirrors were shattered in transit. Rather than trashing them, they broke the shards into even smaller pieces. Then they glued the thousands of tiny mirrors to form a brilliant mosaic that is unbelievably beautiful. Our lives have been shattered by our sin, but because of the cross of Jesus Christ, God puts us back together beautifully. He not only forgives our sins, but strengthens us according to His glorious might to defeat sin in our lives. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Isaiah 55, verse 8-9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. American Family Radio. to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bert and Alex, we're taking those phone calls. But real quick, let me remind folks, uh, Pastor and Wife Fishbowl Retreat is on for 2021. Uh, COVID, uh, you know, we had two scheduled last year. And because of the COVID virus, we couldn't do either one. But we're doing it this year. Hmm. We're going to have a big one. October the 19th through the 21st at Pickwick Landing State Park, close to Savannah, Tennessee. And by the way, you can register. We had people call. I gave the wrong phone number uh, yesterday. I don't know why I did that, but I did it. You can register by going to repairingthefoundations.net, repairingthefoundations.net, click the fishbowl retreat, or call. Write this number down, and this is the right one. If you wrote it down yesterday, throw that away. 662 844 5036. 662 844 5036, that's our number here. Ask for extension 297. And if you don't, just say, I need to talk about the fishbowl retreat, and we'll get you to the right person. But that's October the 19th through the 21st. Alex, you've been, and you know how effective it is. It's wonderful. Ed Vitagliano is going to be with us this year. So anyway, I wanted to get that in again and correct that phone number. Well, and tomorrow night, folks, First Baptist Church, Canton, Texas, it's uh, about an hour and a half outside of Dallas, 6 p.m. tomorrow night. I was talking to the pastor, and uh, I'm so excited about the baccalaureate service. I'm going to be talking to graduates tomorrow night, and uh, I want people to pray because no doubt there'll probably be some unsaved people there, and I'm going to be sharing the gospel. But it is open to the public, and I've got a message about God and country 
and making a difference, and you can pray for these graduates. So if you're around First Baptist of Canton, Texas, tomorrow night at 6 p.m., come on out. I'd love to meet you. You will be blessed by hearing Alex. Hope you can make it. Where are we going to first, Alex? We're going to go down to Georgia. We're going to talk to Michael in Georgia. Michael, you're the first caller on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Hey, Alex. Hey, Bert. Good to have you. uh, Could I have like two minutes? (laughs) What you need to do, Michael? With Alex, I talked with Alex yesterday, and it it, I I had to go real real fast, but uh, it was uh something I was pondering in the Lord when I was uh. Not many people know this, but the the place that Jesus had uh, supper, the Last Supper, with his twelve disciples is the same room that the 120 are in the upper room. That's why it's called the upper room. And uh, it's shortened there, but it's the same place that he ate the Last Supper. And the other thing was, there was a blind man crying in the street, and his name was Barnabas. And uh, I was wondering if Barnabas and Barnabas is the same man. Uh, this is in Mark chapter 10, I guess, the story of blind Bartimaeus. Um, now, in, in, yeah, there are two blind men healed in Matthew 20, and there's Bartimaeus in Mark 10 who says, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, you know, Bert, um, I, I think they're two separate accounts, um, two, two different accounts. One of the, uh, Proofs of Jesus's Messiahship was his ability to heal, and uh, so there, there two blind Bartimaeus and the the two men in Matthew chapter twenty are two different healing accounts, as I understand That's it. That's me as well. And uh, matter of fact, when you find him blind, you find out Jesus would do it differently as well. Uh, he would wash their face, uh, eyes one time, speak, just rub them. So mm-hmm. Jesus made sure that certain things did not become, quote, ritualistic. In other words, in order for this to happen, you got to do it this way. Now, there are certain ways. When it comes to salvation, there is the only way through Jesus Christ. But in the healing, there are several ways. Jesus did it that way. He would have it done later. He would have it done immediately. He would have them to do certain things, and sometimes they wouldn't do anything and the same way is true about healing today, Alex. Uh, mm-hmm. It's God that does the healing. If he uses a doctor, praise the Lord. If he uses medicine, praise Amen. the Lord, surgery. If he does it by touching their life, if he does it by people praying and coming or one person, but God does the healing. Uh, don't put God in a box like that, you know, and say, you got to do it this way. And I, I think the Bible teaches, don't put God in a box like that. Well, let's go down to Arkansas and talk to Jim. Jim, are you there? Uh, yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, welcome. What is your question, brother? Hey, uh, in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, we, you were talking about uh, you know not being socialists or anything, but why is it that uh, Peter said uh, to Ananias, uh, why it was yours, you, your property was yours, and even after you sold it, it was yours? Well, why is it that he saved some back? But he gave quite a bit, I think, 
to the Lord, and he was struck down dead, and later his wife. And I just don't understand. I don't understand it. So okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Hey, Alex, I'll ask you the question. You need to complete. Do you think he was telling them he was giving and giving everything the way Barnabas did, but he was holding some back, which was his privilege? But he wasn't privileged to lie about it, was he? That's right. I mean, we we've got a couple of things here. We've got pride and we've got dishonesty and, frankly, greed. And it, it was voluntary. Giving then and giving now is voluntary. So it, it wasn't that he and his wife were struck down because there was a compulsory giving and they didn't meet it. They, they were prideful, they were greedy, and they lied. And, you know, at this part of the church, uh, you know, there at the beginning of the church, I mean, I think the purity— and the, the full reign of the Holy Spirit was so crucial that God dealt with them very severely. Uh, Bert, if people nowadays, pride, greed, dishonesty, if the Holy Spirit did a ministry of, uh, of uh, uh, attrition within the church today, I'm afraid oh, we'd man. be having some funerals, wouldn't we? I think you're right. Let me just say this. At the beginning of new eras or ministries, there seems to be a more severe uh, discipline concerning that time, the time of the church. Do you remember when they brought the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem and they did it by, you know, on an ox cart and they weren't supposed to do it that way? And the two men that tried to study, the man that tried to study the ox cart died. Uh, there seems to be a more severe discipline. Uh, concerning when things began, because if it's wrong when it's began, think how bad off it's going to be as it projects out into the future. So God, I, I believe that was one of the reasons it was at the beginning, Alex. Well, amen. Amen. I, I agree. I agree. Well, we're going to go to uh, Mississippi. Tony in Mississippi, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hey guys, um, thanks for everything you do. I listen to you guys every day on the way home. I'm a school teacher. Um, but I was party to a robust discussion this week as to whether or not man is a trinity, body, soul, and spirit. And that, that's based upon Hebrews 4.12 and then the passage in Genesis where they um, where it said that man is we are we will make man in our image and so that's it and i'll hang up and let you guys answer thank you tony tony thank you for listening and uh praise the lord for christian school teachers and uh Amen. man they make a difference but alex is man a trinity uh i do think so i, I do think so i know the um the acts 412 says the word of god is living and effective sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And there are other other verses that, that really reference body, soul, and spirit. Now, I'm going to give you three words here, hylomorphism uh, and dichotomy and trichotomy. Hylomorphism is a word that tries to um, explain the relationship between our, our matter and our, and our essence. Uh, our nature, really. You know, we are body and we're spirit. There's the physical and the non-physical. Well, the people that believe in just two-part dichotomy say, well, there's the physical, the non-physical, the body, and the soul, 
But I mean, clearly the New Testament uses these words of body, soul, and spirit. Um, Sarx, psyche, and pneuma, uh, the body. And the soul is really your mind, your knowledge, your memories, your emotions, your personality. But your spirit is that part of you that lasts forever somewhere. And what's so beautiful is, even though the body is wasting away, and Paul says our outward man perishes, our physical body, but the inward man, the the spirit and soul are renewed day by day. Um, Bert, our spirit uh, gets regenerated, made alive, and yeah. then we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ, and it's the Word of God that does that. So I definitely, and this is not something I would, you know, break fellowship with somebody about, but I definitely think that you read the New Testament and you see these words, body, soul, and spirit. I agree with you fully. And again, spiritually dead, but made alive in Christ. So you could make the statement that man without Christ, uh, more like the image of Adam, (laughs) you know, but those of us who have been born again, spirit made alive. Now, it's a dead spirit, but it's still a spirit, Alex. You catch what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you have Mm -hmm. that trinity, and I agree with you. It's not something that, you know, hey, let's let's not uh, go to— uh, war over, but it's something to discuss, and there may be disagreement. But I think it is. I think the, I agree with you, Trinity. Uh, another mankind. great verse on that is First uh, Thessalonians five twenty three. Uh, but let's go to Indiana, uh, Kristen in Indiana. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. I have a real quick question. We have a, um, a small town here in Indiana called Walton, Indiana, and they have a church. Its name is Blue Ball Church. And my husband and I were wondering what biblical meaning Blue Ball has. Well, the only one that comes to my mind, and you may know more about it now, Alex, you know, talking about the earth being like mm-hmm. a blue ball or a blue marble, you know, mm-hmm. Blue Ball Church means uh, we're, we're ready for everybody. It could be good, it could be bad, I understand that. But nothing else comes to my mind. Yeah, I, do, I can't think of a biblical reference. I've seen some rather unusual church names, haven't you, Bert? I have. Uh, you know, I, I've seen one called Laodicea. Now, I if 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 you're looking for a wow. church to imitate, uh, to be good, I wouldn't name it Laodicea. But they, I heard that. They said, we're trying to redeem that name, and we're trying to do something with it, you know. And I, mm-hmm. okay, that's that's okay. And uh, but I've never heard of Blue Ball Church, I, Kristen. I have no idea how to help you. The only thing that I, comes I to my mind is the Earth, the great blue ball or blue marble in the yeah, sky. Yeah, exactly. That's the only exactly. thing that I could relate it to. Wow. Um, if if we come across a reference that ties to that, we'll we'll let you know. But Kristen, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling, uh, Steve in Illinois. Steve, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi, thank you guys. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Good to have you. Okay, yeah. My question today is not a Bible question, per se. Uh, I was listening to your program last week or the week before, and I think it was Alex that mentioned a uh, faith-based drug or alcohol rehab program that was free. And I was wondering if you could maybe... Teen Challenge. Um, You know, started by David Wilkerson. By the way, thanks, you know, because they do such a good work. 
and I've spoken at, at some of their chapters, there is a ministry all over America called Teen Challenge, and it was started by David Wilkerson, who is a famous Christian leader of the latter 20th century. Now, they minister to more than just people of teenage years. In fact, Bert, I've helped a couple of families get young men into Teen Challenge that were probably in their 30s even. And, uh, you know, in Virginia, there's Elam Home, which is a substance abuse program. So there are several, but I think the one I mentioned was Teen Challenge. It was, and there's one in in Arkansas that we heard about, uh, John 316, if I remember that correctly. But it's really when they promote it and advertise here on Exploring, uh, uh, excuse me, on AFR, they call it Teen and Adult Challenge. Uh, but wow. it started out as Teen Challenge. Yes, that's right. And Steve, we hope that helps you. Sounds like we you're interested in that. We'll be praying that it will be helpful to you. Um, let's see if we can go to Tennessee, a Trinity in Tennessee. Yeah, hello, Ben. How you doing today? Good. You good. got it. You got about thirty seconds, Trinity. Go ahead. Okay, great. Uh, Romans ten and nine. When they talk about uh, confess with your mouth. Uh, when they said that, that kind of was kind of confused me a little bit because uh, what about when a person when they can't speak? Is that an issue? Yeah. No, it's no issue, mm. Trinity. It means make him known in your life. Uh, that word, confess, agree with God, and uh, you could do it with sign language if you needed to. You could do it with a piece of paper. Confess, agree with God, Alex. Amen. What a good question, and what a good number of listeners calling in today. Folks, thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. Keep on. We're going to continue in uh, Acts 12 tomorrow. And, uh, Bert, aren't we blessed to be able to do this show and get into the Word of God every day and also talk with people across America? It is a joy. It's it's the highlight of our life uh, for his ministry's concern. So tell as many people as you can about exploring the word and help them grow in the Lord. But you got to get started right. Alex, in order to get started right, they got to know Jesus. So not just tell them about exploring the word, but more importantly, tell them about Jesus. Jesus.